You are listening to a Bible-based message from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. Go to riverrockchurch.com for more information and resources. Now here's today's encouraging message from Pastor Chris Tyen. When they were doing the highway construction, and they made that nice highway out there for us, when the roads were closed, just about everywhere you would go, it would say, you couldn't turn and you couldn't make a U-turn. My wife and I were coming, you know, past the new bridge, past the first bridge over by Coburn's, and we're coming down, going south on 169, and I'm like, I, I don't think we can turn anywhere else except here. And my wife's like, oh, I think we can. I'm like, all right, well, let's just see how this ends up. So we went out and uh, passed the bridge. You couldn't turn, you can't make a U-turn. We kept going, and you couldn't turn, and you couldn't make a U-turn to get to our house. And then we got out uh, near 19, and you couldn't turn, you couldn't make a U-turn. And he just kept going, and if you were a law-abiding citizen, even though I saw people making U-turns where they weren't supposed to, it was no U-turn, no U-turn, no U-turn. And on our church sign out there, as now, even with the roads done, uh, there's many places where it says no U-turn, and I've often thought we've got uh, 16 feet by 12 inches still available for our sign if we wanted to use it, and I was thinking about putting something out there that says, God allows U-turns, because so many places you can't make a U-turn. But God can make a U-turn, and so this message is a compilation of a few of my thoughts and a great video that I wanted you to see on Right Now Media, and then uh, something from the Bible track that you've received. And my hope is is that maybe you're somebody that needs to come back to God, or maybe you know somebody that needs to come back to God, or maybe somebody will hear this, and they will turn to God. But as I prayed about it and came up with these resources, I am excited about what I have to share in in the time that we have. All right, so we have the whole Bible, and sometimes we totally discount the Old Testament. We're like, well, the Old Testament was old. We don't really look at that anymore. Maybe some Psalms, maybe some Proverbs, but the rest of it's just old. That's, we don't do that anymore. And that's the New Testament. We have some Christians who say, well, I only read the red letters, the stuff that Jesus said. I'm like, that's kind of weird. But anyway, so 2 Peter 1.19 says, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote. For their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. We are going to look at the prophet Hosea and that message that he has that was for Israel also applies to us. And you'll see how that works in a minute. But we must remember that 2 Timothy 3.14 says, you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. For you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you wisdom to receive the salvation that comes from trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, so that's Old Testament and New Testament, is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it, uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. So we should be involved in learning our Bible. We can go to church on Sundays and we can get some Bible, but it's not enough to carry us through the week. It's not enough to make us prepared to do every good, week, every good work. And we can attend Bible studies and that helps too. And we can, we can always be learning. Uh, we can watch right now media. We can be learning. There's so many ways, audio, podcasts. We can be learning, 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 but sometimes we need to put that into action too. So we know Scripture, we share Scripture, and then we're able, through the help of the Holy Spirit, to do God's good work that He has 
prepared in advance for us to do. So we look at all the books of the Bible, the 66 books of the Bible, and highlighted there in the middle of the prophets, or uh, first third of the prophets after Daniel, is Hosea. And Hosea is the weirdest book ever. And I'm going to show you a video clip in a few minutes about why it's such a strange book and why Hosea was asked to do some stuff that's just really weird. But God wanted to show his people how they were so unfaithful to him, wanted to show, his, show the Israelites how they were constantly turning their back on God, ignoring God, not paying attention to God, and how that made him sad. And I'm highlighting this too because there's 20,000 videos available on Right Now Media. And some people have asked me to make a list of like the top 10 for certain issues and stuff like that. And if you wanted to help me, that would be awesome because when you have 20,000 videos to choose from, it's almost like you're trying to take a drink out of a fire hydrant as it's rushing through. It's just too much. You don't know where to start. But uh, there are many resources out there. And this is one that is really awesome um, from the Bible Project. And so this video that you're going to see explains the whole book of Hosea in like seven minutes. So you get like the whole background of what the whole book is about. So by the time you leave here today, you're going to walk out saying, hey, I know a lot about Hosea. And then you're going to say that that video service that the church offers of many, uh, you can learn other books of the Bible and get an overview. We actually watched it for Daniel uh, at the men's Bible study. But it just takes a bunch of information and puts it together and you go, oh, that's what it's about. So from the Bible Project about Hosea. And then we'll talk about Hosea for a minute. The book of the prophet Hosea. Hosea lived in the northern kingdom of Israel, which he sometimes calls Ephraim or Jacob, about 200 years after they had broken off from southern Judah. Remember the story from 1 Kings. Hosea was called to speak on God's behalf during the reign of one of Israel's worst kings, Jeroboam II. The nation was descending into chaos, and in the year 722, the big bad Assyrian Empire swooped in and decimated Israel. Again, see the story in 2 Kings. And Hosea had seen all of this coming. The book is a collection of some 25 years of his preaching and writing. It's almost all poetry. And this whole collection has been designed to have three main sections. Let's just dive in and you'll see how it works. The opening part tells the story of Hosea's broken marriage to a woman named Gomer who commits adultery. Now, it's not totally clear whether Gomer slept around with other men before or only after they got married, but they did have three children together and things fell apart. The important point is that God tells Hosea that despite Gomer's unfaithfulness, he is to go find her, to pay off her debts to her lovers, and to commit his love and faithfulness to her once again. And then God says that all of this, the broken and repaired marriage, the children, it's all a prophetic symbol telling the story of God's relationship to Israel. So God has been like a faithful husband to Israel. He rescued them out of slavery. He brought them to Mount Sinai, where he entered into a covenant with them. He asked them to be faithful to him alone. But then he brought Israel into the promised land and they took all the abundance that he gave them and they dedicated it to the worship of the Canaanite god Baal. And so God has a legitimate reason. He could end the covenant and divorce Israel and he thinks about doing so, but instead he says that he's going to pursue Israel again and renew his covenant with them. And he says why? It's purely because of his own love, compassion, and faithfulness. 
Hosea then spells out what all this means. He says the consequences for Israel's rebellion will be imminent defeat by other nations and exile. But there's hope for future restoration. One day Israel will once again repent and come back to worship their God. And Hosea says he will place over them a new messianic king from the line of David who will bring God's blessing. And so this opening section introduces all the main ideas of the book. Israel has rebelled, and God's going to bring severe consequences, but God's own covenant love and mercy are more powerful than Israel's sin. And so in the remaining sections of the book, Hosea's poetry explores these themes in more depth. So there are two collections of his accusations and warnings for Israel, and then each of these is concluded by a very hopeful poem about God's mercy and hope for the future. So chapters 4 through 10, Hosea explores the causes and effects of Israel's unfaithfulness. He says numerous times that Israel lacks all knowledge or understanding of God. The Hebrew word to know, which is yada, it's more than just intellectual activity. It describes personal relational knowledge. It's the difference between just knowing about someone and then actually knowing that someone. And God wants Israel to know him like that in a relationship. He wants them to experience his love for them and become the kind of knowledge that transforms their hearts and lives so that they love him in return. And so this is why Hosea is constantly exposing the hypocrisy of Israel's worship. He constantly shows how they're breaking the Ten Commandments, how they're allowing grave injustice in their communities, and then they go to their sacred temples and they offer sacrifices to God like everything is just fine. But it's not fine. And not only because of their hypocrisy, but because they're worshiping all of these other gods too. He mentions many times their altars to Baal at the cities of Bethel and Gilgal. And not only have they given their allegiance to other gods, Hosea repeatedly accuses Israel for trusting in their political alliances with Egypt and Assyria. So instead of trusting God to protect them, they want to become like these nations and rely solely on military power. And God says it's all going to come crashing down on their heads because in not too long, Assyria will turn on them and come to ravage their lands. In this other section of warning, Hosea gives an ancient Israelite history lesson to show how this family has been unfaithful from the beginning. So he alludes to the patriarch Jacob's lying and treachery. Remember Genesis 27 and 28. He alludes to Israel's rebellion in the wilderness. Remember the book of Numbers. He alludes to their appointment of the corrupt king Saul who led the people into sin and disaster. Remember the stories in 1 Samuel. This is all Hosea's way of saying some things in this family family never change. So what hope does Hosea have? Well, we know from chapter 3 that God's going to do something to save and restore his people. And that's what these two concluding chapters explore. Chapter 11 is beautiful. The poem depicts God as a loving father who raised his son Israel and then shared everything with him. But the son grew up and rebelled and turned on the father, taking advantage of his generosity. And so in this poem, God is emotionally torn apart. One moment he's angry and naturally he says he's going to bring severe consequences. But the next moment he's heartbroken. And then he says that he's moved by his mercy and compassion and he's going to forgive the son that he loves. He says, how can I give you up, Ephraim? My heart churns inside of me. All my compassion is aroused. And so while God did allow Israel to be conquered by Assyria, face the consequences, that's not God's final word. There's still hope. And that's what the last chapter is about.
Hosea calls Israel to repent and turn back to their God, but he knows that it won't last because it never has before. And God says that one day he will heal their waywardness and love them freely. God goes on to describe this new healed Israel as a lush tree that will grow deep roots and broad branches and offer shade and fruit to all of the nations. It's an image of God's promise to Abraham, how Israel was to become a blessing to the nations. And God's saying, if that's ever going to happen, it's going to require an act of God's grace and healing power to repair the deep brokenness and sinful selfishness of the human heart so that God's people can receive his love and love him in return. This is what God promises to do. Now, after this poem concludes, we find the very last words of the book. They're like an appended note. They're likely from the author who collected Hosea's poetry and now wants to speak to you, the reader, for a second. And he says, who is wise and discerning to understand all of this? In other words, Hosea's poems. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. So the author wants you to know that Hosea's ancient poetry to northern Israel is not locked in the past. It reveals deep truths about God's character and purposes and human nature. And while God should and does bring his justice on human evil, his ultimate purpose, his heart, is to heal and to save his people. And that's what the book of Hosea is all about. All right, you see there that God allows U-turns, and the whole idea of repenting. When we come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, it's never God's intention to just leave us where we are. He doesn't want us to continue in sin, continue in our, in our current state, but he wants to make us more like Jesus. And when Jesus came, if you read through the book of Romans and Galatians, you see that uh, first God had his chosen people, the Israelites, and then as time went on and Jesus came, then that was open to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, the, you and me. Uh, us. And so God's promise, God's love, God's salvation is available to us. So let's just look briefly at a window into Hosea, Hosea chapter 11. And you see the character of God and what the Israelites were doing to God or not doing and the difficulty of it all. And if you read it and you think about it, you might be able to see yourself or somebody that you know that is not living a life for the Lord the way that they should. Hosea 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him and I called my son out of Egypt. But the more I called to him, the farther he moved from me, offering sacrifices to the images of Baal and burning incense to idols. Now, I know that I've never known anybody that's offering uh, sacrifices to Baal, but I've watched people bow at the throne of sports idolatry or chasing money, or fame, or power, or possessions, or all these other gods that we build shrines to, and we put the stuff before God, and it's a form of worship. Anything that we put before God is a form of worship, and many times we do things like that. God wants us to grow closer to Him, and we are just constantly sidetracked. We're just constantly distracted. We're constantly running off to do something else besides worship to God who saved us, who loves us, who cares for us, who has a great plan for our life if we would follow it. Uh, verse 3, I myself, God says, taught Israel how to walk, leading him along by the hand, but he doesn't know or even care that it was I 
who took care of him. And it's so easy for people to come through a hard time and they pray, God, if you do this, I promise to do that. And then the hard time is over. Then they're off to doing their other thing, forgetting that God rescued them, forgetting that God saved them, forgetting of the opportunities and the privileges and the salvation they have in Christ and the mandate to make disciples and lead other people to Christ and to share that message. They just get so involved in the world and so comfortable in the world that they forget about serving God. And it's just like this. Uh, He doesn't know or even care that it was I who took care of him. Verse 4. I led Israel along with my ropes of kindness and love. I lifted the yoke from his neck and I myself stooped to feed him. But since my people refuse to return to me, they will return to Egypt and, uh, and will be forced to serve Assyria. War will swirl through their cities. Their enemies will crash through their gates. They will destroy them, trapping them in their own evil plans. And in the New Testament, you can read about that in Hebrews chapter 12, how God disciplines those whom he loves, how the discipline is supposed to bring us back to God, closer to Christ. And you can read about that in Hebrews chapter 12. But there is a penalty for our sin. We reap what we sow many times God in his grace uh, rescues us from even that. But if you're constantly going to live in sin, there's going to be a price that will be paid for it. God won't constantly keep you protected, constantly keep you uh, blessed in every way if you're not living. Uh, I like to say if you're not living a blessable life. Even when you have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you're going to live in sin, there's going to be consequences. Verse 7, for my people are determined to desert me. They call me the Most High, but they don't truly honor me. Oh, how can I give you up, Israel? How can I let you go? How can I destroy you like Adma or demolish you like Zeboim, which is actually uh, some of the cities in the area of Sodom and Gomorrah. So basically it was the region, so it's basically Sodom and Gomorrah that he's talking about. My heart is torn within me and my compassion overflows. Then God says, no, I will not unleash my fierce anger. I will not completely destroy Israel, for I am God and not a mere mortal. I am the Holy One living among you, and I will not come to destroy. For someday the people will follow me. I, the Lord, will roar like a lion, and when I roar, my people will return, trembling from the west. Like a flock of birds, they will come from Egypt, trembling like doves, they will return from Assyria, and I will bring them home again, says the Lord. So here we have the Lord God who created us all, who gives us Jesus, Uh, to save us from our sins, shows us great love in every way, constantly mistreated, uh, constantly cast aside for false gods, yet God continues to show love and grace and compassion with a plan to eventually bring his chosen people back to him again. And so we see this in the New Testament. We all know John 3.16, that this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So that's how God fix the mess is by sending Jesus to live for, live among us, to teach us how to live, to die on the cross for us, and then he rose again, and he will return. And so we have Jesus, and that's the greatest uh, act of God's love, sacrificing his one and only son. But John 3.35 says, the father loves his son and has put everything into his hands. And anyone who believes in God's son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. So you need to believe and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for you to be saved and escape God's judgment, angry judgment for those people that live in sinful rebellion against him. So Jesus' first sermon, Jesus basically could have entitled it, Make a U-Turn, Matthew 4, 17. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. 
in Matthew 4.17, Jesus is basically saying, make a U-turn, repent. The Apostle Peter, preaching in Acts chapter 3, somebody who experienced uh, denying Christ, saying he wouldn't, and then when Jesus was being crucified, out of his fear, he denied Christ three times. Jesus restored him, and then the Apostle Peter was this great voice of uh, salvation, uh, preaching God's plan, and uh, the mystery of uh, what Jesus had just done and accomplished, Acts 3. God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. Peter says, now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the, from the presence of the Lord, and he will again send you, Jesus, your appointed Messiah. Then we'll go to uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul's sermon in Acts chapter 17, when he was talking to Herod Agrippa, um, giving testimony of who he was and what he stood for. Acts chapter 17, uh, Paul writes, His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as some of your own prophets have said. Oh, some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. So the Apostle Paul's sermon could have been entitled, Make a U-Turn. Repentance, a common definition for repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. When we realize who we're supposed to be in Christ and how we're supposed to live in, our, in Christ, and we, we acknowledge before the Lord when the Holy Spirit convicts us, especially of sin, and we acknowledge that sin, and we ask God to help us not to do it again, first comes the change of mind and the asking uh, for God to help us. And then that leads to a change of behavior. Often we can't get the change of behavior on our own. So it's not a change of behavior that makes you right with the Lord. It's receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior, a change of mind, realizing that you need to follow Jesus, to live in his ways, that leads to a change of behavior. And often the Holy Spirit helps you to get that change in behavior. And actually, if you can look back and see how your life has changed uh, from the time before you came to Christ and then you came to Christ in your life since, you should see that you've been changing to become more like Christ. So Acts 26, 19, uh, Paul writes, I preached first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that all must repent of their sin and turn to God and prove that they have changed by the good things they do. So repentance is huge. Now, change from what? The preacher outline uh, in Sermon Bible Commentary really laid it out, the things to repent from. Uh, repentance, to change, to turn, to change one's mind, to turn one's life. It's a turning away from sin and turning toward God, towards God. It is a change of mind, a forsaking of sin. It is putting sin out of one's thoughts and behavior. It is resolving never to think or do a thing again. The change is turning away from lying, stealing, cheating, immorality, cursing, drunkenness, and the other so-called glaring sins of the flesh. But the change is also turning away from the silent sins of the spirit, such as self-centeredness, selfishness, envy, bitterness, pride, covetousness, anger, evil thoughts, hopelessness, Laziness, jealousy, and lust. Number one, repentance involves two turns. There is a negative turn away from sin and a positive turn toward God. It is a turning to God away from sin, whether sins of thought or action. Two, repentance is more than sorrow. Sorrow may or may not be involved in repentance. 
A person may repent simply because he wills and acts to change, or a person may repent because he senses an agonizing sorrow within, but the sense or feeling of sorrow is not repentance. Repentance is both the change of mind and the actual turning of one's life away from sin and toward God. So uh, when you walked in, you received a Bible tract that says, God allows U-turns, which totally fit my message. I had the message title before I ordered the tract. And when I looked inside the tract, it was not what I expected. But I wanted to share it because I think it's really important that we think like Jesus. I think it's really important that we realize where people are at. I think it's really important that we look at the neighbors and our coworkers and our peers and realize that everybody seems to have a life that's messed up. I won't read the whole thing. But in the beginning, uh, Alison Botke writes, sometimes difficult to see that God is paying even the slightest attention when our lives are a mess. I mean, where is he exactly when you need him? And then she talks about how her first marriage was terrible and how her ex-husband was abusive. And then she talks about how her parents uh, helped caused some of the problem. My parents divorced when I was young, leaving an emptiness in my heart I could never understand. As a teenager, I felt apart from girls my own age, and I rebelled strongly against any and all authority. I had given up on God long before I ran away at the age of 15 to marry the 18-year-old man who would become the uh, husband who was abusive. Then she writes, by the time I was sweet 16, there was no doubt in my mind if God existed, it was certainly not in my world. She writes, after the birth of my son and my divorce, both at the age of 16, there was no room in my life for anything but the here and now. Practical things consumed me, like going back to school, working, childcare, housekeeping, paying bills, and learning how to be a mother. I was so very lost. I filled my days with busy, take-charge tasks. I filled my nights with alcohol, drugs, parties, and self-destruction. I filled my soul with empty promises and emptier pursuits. Over the years, another marriage and divorce, several broken engagements, more than one abortion, and frequent extreme weight gains and losses left me even more emotionally crippled. And I read that and I think, you know, there are a lot of people that are in that place, a lot of people that are on that, that doing that cycle, and they're just too busy, too, too fallen, too guilty, too hurt to pursue God. She writes, why couldn't I find happiness? Why did it seem as though nothing I did worked out? Why did I feel so worthless? The feelings of utter helplessness and hopelessness, the unrealized dreams, broken promises, and dead-end streets overwhelmed me. One summer evening, I was taking a walk in my neighborhood when I noticed people going to the neighborhood church. And then she said that she felt uh, pulled into the church, and she thought it was strange that she was in this church uh, crying like a baby. And the pastor began to speak. It was a message of being lost without direction, without hope, without faith, and how it did not have to be like that. He talked about how we needed only to listen to the Holy Spirit and ask the Lord Jesus to come into our hearts and he would be there just like that. And she writes, My walk with the Lord started that day, a day that forever changed the course of my life. Suddenly I wanted to know more about this relationship with Jesus of which the pastor spoke. Over the next decade, the world opened up to me in ways I could never have imagined. Opportunities, experiences, and spiritual illumination did not make my life perfect, but it was a life of healing and hope, a life of promise where... Before there had been empty desolation, Psalm 71.20 says, Though you have made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up and bring me up. He did. Jesus Christ took my broken spirit and my lost soul, filled with guilt and pain, and turned me around, setting me on a new course. He filled that empty place in my soul I was trying so desperately to fill with drugs, alcohol, 
relationships, material goods, work, and empty pursuits. He forgave me the sins that weighed heavy on my heart, showing me I no longer had to carry the burden alone, and he can do the same for you. I did not get religion. I got a relationship, a relationship with Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it all. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Are you ready for a new relationship and a new life? No matter what we have done, no matter where we have been, it's never too late to change direction because God allows U-turns. And then um, at the end of the track is a prayer for people that want to receive Christ. And if you want to receive Christ, if this is you, you could pray something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I've been going down the wrong road and I want to make a U-turn towards you. I thank you for giving your son as a sacrifice for my sins that I might not die but have eternal life with you. Please forgive me my sins and come into my life. Fill me with your love and the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. And that is a way to come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This is about a 20-cent piece of paper that you can order, and there's many different kinds of tracks, T-R-A-C-T-S, that you could use, that you could put in your arsenal to have ready to share with people. And all you would need to do, you don't have to have every verse memorized. You don't have to know everything. You could even come alongside with somebody and say, I read something that's interesting. Maybe you'd be encouraged and you could read it to them just like I did. You can take stuff out of the New Believers New Testament. And on the back of your notes, actually, uh, there's another section from the New Believers New Testament that talks about backsliding. Maybe that's where you are at. But through uh, the resources that we have, the media, the, we can, you can share right now media with people that you're connected to. Well, all they have to do is just go uh, sign up for it. And they're connected to the church because they're connected to you. But that's a resource to bring lost people to Christ. Tracks are a resource to lead people to Christ. All you have to do is be available. And there's many resources to help you be just like Jesus. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, Luke 19.10. And Jude 1.22 says, You must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. So it's time for communion now. But um, as I was preparing the message and uh, bringing this all together, I just thought that if you could uh, see that resources available and then get an overview of Hosea, uh, be reminded that the Old Testament is for you. And also remember that there are so many Bible tools out there for you to be involved in harvesting souls for Christ. That is the most important thing that we can do is live a life that honors Jesus and bring lost people with us. Someday we're all going to spend time before the Lord in eternity and hopefully we'll be surrounded by lots of friends and neighbors and people that we helped get there. So it's not that we know everything, but it's like we're one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. If the guys could come forward, the people can come forward for communion. Communion is that time in our service and uh, in our church life where we remember what Christ has done. And so we usually do it the first Sunday of the month, and churches do this around the world. Uh, some do it every Sunday, uh, some do it uh, once a month. We do it once a month because we think that it probably has more meaning. But this is a great time to just pause and look back on, on your days, on your life, and see if you are walking tightly with the Lord. Have you fallen into sin? Confess that. Have you walked away? Recommit yourself. Have you backslidden? Get right with the Lord. If you need help with that, we would love to talk to you about that. But if you've come to church for any period of time, you're very familiar with the communion passage. 
and we are always to put our hope in God. Hosea 12.6 says, So now, come back to your God, act with love and justice, and always depend on Him. So Paul writes, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord Himself on the night when He was betrayed. The Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then He broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. So we'll pass the bread out. Some music will play. And then I'll come back and we'll pray together. So John Bunyan, the writer of Pilgrim's Progress, wrote, When a person becomes a Christian, it is no longer a priority to listen to the world. It is no longer a priority to care what the world may think. Everything changes. The world looks completely different. All of the temporal pleasures of this world become less enjoyable because a greater joy has been found. Thus you place your fingers in your ears, for you no longer care about the world's opinion and you run like a lunatic, crying, life, life, eternal life. And while he wrote that in the 1600s, that is true for us today, too. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you have called us to know you, that you have called us and given us this opportunity to experience you, that we have your word, that we have all these resources, that we have opportunity, that we have freedom, at least at this time we have freedom to proclaim and share you. Lord, we pray that we would make the most of every opportunity. Lord, we pray we'd be quick to confess any sin in our life and stay in a right relationship with you and that we would never turn our back on you, Lord, that we would never be so distracted that we worship the false gods of our day. So Jesus, thank you for uh, dying on the cross for our sins. We take this, we eat. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So often during communion time, I like to take this time to thank the Lord for what he's doing in my life, to praise him for all the blessings that he's given, and to recommit my life to serving him. So maybe you could do that as the music plays, and I'll come back up and pray in a minute. So don't get me wrong, God doesn't necessarily love you more because you live a perfect life. We're saved by grace through faith. But in the Bible, it talks about being a clean vessel God can use. In the Bible, it talks about how God has prepared works in advance for us to do. And when we're living right, God can use us and we can make an eternal difference. And I think that when you're looking back on this short period of your life here, when you're in eternity looking back, you'll be thankful that you took a risk. You'll be thankful that you prioritized the Lord. You'll be thankful that you prioritized with your time, your talent, your treasure to help build the kingdom of God in the local church. And you will thank him and praise him for all that he's done in your life that you could have never have done on your own because the Lord is awesome and he loves us. So let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much that you have blessed us and helped us and are using us. Lord, we pray that you would use us even more. Lord, we pray that there would be more people saved and baptized uh, through this church this year than ever before. God, we pray that you would give us a building, not for our glory, but to be more effective in serving you. Lord, we pray that we could be a brighter light in the community. And Lord, that we would show your love and compassion to broken, lost, hurting, messed up people like we heard about in that Bible tract that I read. So Jesus, we thank you. We take this, we drink. And we praise the Lord. So the worship team is going to come up, sing a final song. If you would take that Bible track, as there, um, and if you would share that with somebody and plant that seed, that would be awesome.
When I said they were 20 cents each, I was wrong. They're only 10 cents each. Thanks for listening. It would be great if you would let us know how you were encouraged by this message. We invite you to visit River Rock Church, 10 a.m. Sundays at 330 South Market Street in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. You can connect with us, find more messages to listen to, and get resources to help you grow in your faith at riverrockchurch.com.